There was a time in my life when I was selfish in my time and I seeked independence from my parents and from God. I looked forward to how I was going to be satisfied instead of focusing on Jesus. I would instead enjoy going to parties, eating anytime I wanted, I could game, uh, try to decide who I would date next. This all came to a head when I found myself in a field running from the cops. I wish I could say all these selfish things died that night. They didn't, but it was a wake-up call for me to realize I was living for myself instead of God. Do you have a story like that? There was a time in my life where it felt like my own thoughts and insecurities had control of me. On the outside, I did my very best to look put together. But on the inside, I was constantly picking apart every little thing that I didn't like about myself. And then I remember hearing God's voice for the first time. And over time, His voice became so much louder than any of the lies that I had believed about myself. And now, I'm learning what it's like to live and trust that through Him, I am enough. Do you have a story like that? There was a time in my life when I felt that I needed to earn my own acceptance and control circumstances. But God took me on a journey that led to a number of disappointments and even setbacks that showed me how dependent I needed to be on Him. I had to submit my life to Him and trust His goodness and faithfulness. Now, as I seek Him, God has given me a great joy and confidence in what He is doing. That's my story. How about yours? Thanks for worshiping with us this weekend. And even though we can't be all in the same place physically, I do think there's something special about us all being together as we worship, as we study God's word, as we pray, and as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. I'm grateful for my teammates and the creativity and ingenuity that they're offering during this time as we plan for weekend worship services and also as we do ministry together. And I just want to encourage you to continue to reaching out to those who are near you, your family, your neighbors, uh, your coworkers, your friends. This is a time where we can truly be full of faith and also love our neighbors. So I pray that you'll continue to do that and let us know how we can minister to you as you're ministering to others. You know, in September, uh, when we planned to study through the entire book of John in 2020, we had no idea that we'd be facing all of these situations that are uh, an impact because of COVID-19. But God did. And I think it's really amazing that we've been trying to grow in our dependence on God as a church and as individual Christ followers. And maybe this time is, is like a time like no other where we could learn to live and love like Jesus did. We've been studying through the book of John and we, the last two weeks, have been uh, watching as Jesus interacted with a woman at a well in Samaria. And uh, we're going to continue to look at that today. It's amazing as Jesus interacts with people, the things we can learn about him and from him as we choose to live and love like him. This uh, conversation that Jesus had with this woman, it comes at an unusual time because she had gone to the well to draw water at midday. 
Typically, women in this time went early in the morning or late at night to go and draw water because it was cooler there. But this woman came and she had a jar, probably a, a big pot. And uh, this woman came uh, at a time when there was no one else around. And we can infer by that that she probably was an outcast. She probably was somebody that was looked down upon. She may have been called um, some names that weren't so flattering. She came from a small village named Syker, and everyone there knew that she had a string of failed relationships. And so when she encountered Jesus in this God moment, it wasn't by accident. John says in John chapter four, verse four, that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And I think it was so that he could encounter this woman. Jesus asked her for a drink of water and she points out that he doesn't have anything to draw water with. And she also points out that he's breaking some of the social norms of that day because men didn't speak with women in public, even their wives. And Jews certainly didn't associate with Samaritans. In a chauvinistic and also prejudiced world, Jesus lives and loves differently than anyone that this woman has ever experienced. He initiated a long, meaningful conversation with her and it caught her attention. So did his invitation. An offer that Jesus made to her when he says in John chapter four, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, this woman recognizes that Jesus is a prophet or a teacher and she asks him some spiritual questions about worship, where and when and how to worship. And Jesus reveals his true identity to this woman by saying, I am the Messiah. That's where we're going to pick up our conversation today. So grab a copy of the Bible, turn with me to John chapter four, where we're gonna see a teachable moment. John chapter four, we're gonna begin reading in verse 27. Listen to what it says. Jesus, just then, his disciples returned and surprised to find Jesus talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him some food? Jesus said, my food? is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, isn't uh, four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for uh, eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and the other reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefit of their labors. The disciples had gone into town to get some food and when they returned, they were surprised to see Jesus speaking with this woman from Samaria because of all the reasons we talked about earlier, especially though, because they regarded him as a rabbi, which speaking to this woman was much more taboo. John records that uh, one, none of the disciples asked Jesus about this, but being fully God and omniscient, which means he was full of knowledge, he knew all things, he knew what they were thinking. Have you ever had that happen? 
been thinking something to yourself, not using words, but somebody knew exactly what you were thinking? Well, these disciples offered Jesus some food that they had brought back. And Jesus turns this moment into a lesson about how to live and love like him. Jesus declines the offer of food by sharing where he finds his fulfillment, where he finds his satisfaction. He says in verse 32 and 34, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Have you ever been excited about something so much or or so focused on doing something that you forget to eat or even take time to eat? History tells us that George Friedrich Handel, when he composed the, the musical masterpiece called Messiah, that he did so in just a few weeks. And it also says that uh, he, was, he worked uh, continuously and very seldom took a break for food or rest. And when asked about this, he said this, I'm operating from a heavenly vision. Jesus was fully committed to the task that God had sent him to do. In fact, he says, this is my meat. This is my drink. We see this reiterated all through the gospel of John. In John 3, 16 and 17, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Look what John 6, verse 37 and 40 says, says this. All those the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall not lose any of those he has given to me, but raise them up at the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Later in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to his father and he says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he may give eternal life to all those given to him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. And then finally, in John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says these words, it is finished. He's indicating that the mission is accomplished, that it's satisfied, that it's fulfilled. And Jesus is saying to his disciples in this moment, what's just happened now while you were gone buying food is where I find my greatest joy. John had said earlier that Jesus rested by the well because he was tired, but I don't think he's tired now. I think he's saying, this is what I was made for. Now the disciples hadn't been present. They had gone in to get food so we could give them a little grace, but they totally missed the point that Jesus is making when he talks about this food, much like Nicodemus missed the point about being born a second time or the Samaritan woman earlier had had focused just on physical water. Jesus shares with his disciples his mission, his purpose in coming to earth by using a farming illustration. Now, if you know me very well, you'll know that I don't have a green thumb. In fact, I can't really grow anything, but I had a a stroke of genius when I was just five years old. My parents planted a huge garden in the back of our house. We used loads and loads of cow manure to fertilize that garden. And that year at the county fair, I received a 
purple ribbon as the grand champion for growing these pumpkins. Check out these pictures. I'm about five or six years old in that picture and, and those pumpkins are as big as they look like in that picture. Now, uh, Jesus uses these uh, parables in this moment about agriculture to talk about planting and harvesting. They were familiar parables to those that he's speaking to. And he makes spiritual illustrations and principles from them. He compares planting to sharing with people who he really is and how people can find life in his name. Throughout scripture, the good news about Jesus, which is called the gospel, it's compared to a seed that's scattered or planted water and that grows and spreads and produces fruit and brings a harvest. The harvest com comes when a, a person believes the truth about Jesus and accepts this free gift of salvation that's made possible by Jesus dying on the cross in their place for the punishment of his or her sins. This is what has just happened to the woman at the well that day. Jesus revealed his true identity to her. He offered her salvation and she accepted his invitation to drink the living water. This teachable moment comes to by Jesus telling his disciples, this is the mission. He says in verse 35, don't say like four months from now, we'll gather the harvest. That was a typical period between planting and harvesting in the ancient world. But he speaks to them of the power of the gospel and the urgency of the mission. He's just seen this woman who was headed in the wrong direction. She was empty. She was alone. She was rejected. She was thirsty. She responded in faith to who he is. She accepted his salvation to find life in him. And he says to his disciples, look, the fields are ripe with harvest. The harvester is getting paid because right now there's a harvest happening. And Jesus was constantly training and commissioning the disciples to follow his example as he lived and loved. Listen how Matthew records this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 37. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every person of disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were har harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is exactly what had just happened in this encounter with this woman and where he expects his followers to find their greatest fulfillment and joy. It's God's will and the work that he's called us to do to share the good news, to plant spiritual seeds and to reap a harvest. Jesus says in John 14, 12, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And it's exactly what the woman did. She became a powerful witness, planting and harvesting spiritual seeds, just like Jesus. I think it shows us this, this testimony that's multiplying in the verses that we look at next in John chapter four. Let's reread verses 28 through 30. It says, then leaving her jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who, did, told, who knew everything that I have done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now skip down to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that saying, he told me everything I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we now no longer believe just because of what you have told us, but we now believe of what we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. The woman was so excited for about tasting this living water Jesus offered her. She left the jar at the well. It was probably a large pot. It may have been too heavy to carry back into town. She may have been in a rush. She may have left it there for Jesus to get his drink. But she left it there and she ran into town telling people, you've got to come meet this man who might be the Messiah. She shares about her encounter with Jesus saying, he knew everything about me, yet still loved me, offered me acceptance and eternal life. You've got to come meet him. Do you hear that invitation? I love that she was vulnerable about her life and she pointed people to Jesus. And John records that many people believed because of her testimony. She shared with, with whom she had found true love, true acceptance, true help and hope. All the people in the town knew her. Maybe some of them might've even been her ex-husbands, but I believe they saw something different about her, a change. And they had to see for themselves who she had met. The King James Version translate verse 35 by saying, look at the fields, they are white already for harvest. One scholar shared that the Samaritans living in Syker, where this woman was from, they were most likely workers who worked in the fields. And when they did that, they often wore white clothing. That may have been what Jesus is referring to as he saw these people coming out from the town to the well. He could expect that there was going to be a harvest of many people coming to faith in him. You see, this woman, she didn't know much about Jesus. She wasn't a theologian. She didn't have all the answers, nor did she bring a debate or an argument. She simply knew what had happened to her in her life when she met Jesus. One moment she was trapped in a life of immorality and then offered living water and she was immediately impacted. She seems to have placed her faith in who Jesus is and, and that was changing her. She drank the living water and she wanted everyone else to as well. She went and told everyone she knew and many believed. She pointed them to Jesus. They spent time with him and they placed their faith in him. She just shared with them what, what had happened in her life when she met Jesus. In John 4 verse 42, it says, the people responded, we now no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard it for ourselves. And we know that this man truly is the savior of the world. That phrase savior of the world was familiar to people in those days because the Greek gods often referred to themselves as savior. The Roman emperors often called themselves savior. But Jesus is saying that I'm not a prophet. I'm not just a teacher. I'm the real savior. And I'm not just here for a few, I'm here for everyone. You know, wow, I can really just continue to be amazed that in September, we, we didn't know we'd be facing these circumstances around us. Yet I find this teachable moment with Jesus and his disciples, as well as the example of this woman to be so relevant, to be so timely, so practical. The world around us right now has lots of anxiety, lots of questions, lots of unknowns right now. What do those who know you see in you as you walk through this moment? Could this be a moment for us to plant seeds of the gospel and see a spiritual harvest? 
For the past several weeks, we have been sharing with you intentionally stories of people sharing just 30 second moments of how their life was before they met Jesus and now how it is. We've shared three of those just with you today. And we thought it would be a powerful way to celebrate the power of the gospel. We also thought it would help equip all of us who call Crossroads home a way to reflect on our own personal story and find a way to share it with others. Thinking that you might have the opportunity to share your story with with a neighbor that you've been praying for the whole month of February or to make it part of an invitation to an upcoming Easter service to a coworker or a friend. Or you may place it on social media and a, a friend that you've not seen from high school might hear your story and see a difference in your life from when they knew you. There's never a bad time to share what Jesus means to you and how he's changed your life. But I wonder if if this is one of those for such a time as this moment where the fields are ripe for harvest. Because of all the turmoil this coronavirus has caused, people may be more open than ever to hear about Jesus and to hear how you're finding hope and peace and strength in him. You know, it's often the effect of one life upon another that leads a person to know Jesus. If you've tasted the living water, it should become a spring of water welling up in you for eternal life, not just for you, but also for all those that you come in contact with. Jesus challenged his disciples to see the fields that were ripe for harvest. And they had a powerful example, not only in him and his commitment to plant and harvest, but also in this woman from Samaria. Jesus makes a few powerful points in this passage that I don't want us to miss. And the first is this, this is God's work. It's why he sent Jesus. It's what he calls and commands those of us who are Christ's followers. And it's by the Holy Spirit that people receive salvation. Also, some people plant and some harvest. Both are essential to the process of farming and also to spiritual work. You know, you might have shared the gospel, the good news with, with a person in many ways and at many times. And at the moment when they decide to receive this invitation of Jesus, there might be somebody else present or vice versa. Others may have shared the gospel many times and in many ways with someone that when they choose to accept Christ, you might be there in that moment. Jesus says in this passage from John 4 that the sower and the reaper are glad together. You know, Paul, he reinforced these truths when he was addressing some bickering that was happening at the Corinthian church between people who said, no, I am, I'm responsible because of Paul sharing the gospel or I came to faith because of Apollos. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. I'm reading from the message translation. It says, who do you think Paul is anyway? Or Apollos for that matter? Servants, both of us, Servants who waited on you as you gradually learned to entrust your lives to our mutual master. We each carried out our servant assignment. I planted seed, Apollos watered some seed, but God made you grow. It's not the one who plants or the one who waters who is at the center of the process, but God who makes things grow. Planting and watering are menial servant jobs at minimum wages. But what makes them worth doing is that the It's God we are serving. You happen to be the field in which we are working. If Jesus is your Savior and Lord, then sharing how he has changed your life is something that we should all be doing and it's something that we all can do. 
And this might be the next greatest moment for you to plant and water some spiritual seeds of the gospel so that we can see God bring about a spiritual harvest. Our satisfaction in life should come from pursuing the will of God and doing uh, what Jesus calls the work, living and loving like him. And we must open our eyes to see that it's harvest time. And we want to equip you. You heard earlier in our service about this training that's happening Monday night, March the 23rd at 6.30 p.m. on Facebook Live. It's a training to help you identify what your life was like before you met Christ and how you came to know who Jesus is and what your life is like now. We call it a a 30-second story training. To prepare you for that, I, I want you to maybe take out your journal between now and Monday. I want you to think about what words would describe your life prior to you encountering Jesus? And what is your life like now? Maybe think about how Jesus introduced himself to you. You know, it might be also helpful to think about this question. How are you finding hope and peace and confidence during this time that we're walking through with COVID-19? You know, Tim Keller says this, being public with your faith simply means not hiding your heart, not hiding the wellspring of your life, not hiding where you get your questions answered, not hiding from other people who you really are, and then pointing them to Jesus. Jesus lived his true identity and was motivated by love, and we should follow his example. The woman and, the fe- and her fellow Samaritans, they came to understand who Jesus is by having an encounter with him. They recognized him as the savior of the world, just like John the Baptist had proclaimed that Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they knew that that included them. And it includes you and it includes me. Wherever you might be joining us to worship with us, regardless of what you've done, no matter who you are. Jesus offers us, invites us to drink of the living water, to find life, abundant life, life to the fullest, eternal life in him. And when you do, we should drop everything, just like the woman left her water jug at the well. And we should go and tell everyone we know just what Jesus has done in our life. Anybody who will listen. We don't share our story to glorify our sin or to share where we've been necessarily, but to point people to Jesus and to let them drink of the living water he offers freely. Did you notice that the woman all throughout John chapter four made a progression in her understanding of who Jesus is? She first addressed him as sir, and then as a Jew, and then as a prophet, and then as Messiah. I love another progression that we see coming from John 3 and John 4. It's in how Jesus reveals his identity to people. First, he revealed himself to Nicodemus, who was a Jewish man. Next, to a woman and some others who were from Samaria. And then, as we'll see next weekend, to a Gentile centurion. It's just like Jesus promised and commanded to happen when he commissioned his disciples after his resurrection in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The New Living Translation says this, you'll be telling people about me everywhere. 
I have a pastor friend this past week who, who posted on Facebook a prayer to God and it included praising God for Mark Zuckerberg who actually invented Facebook. Facebook was invented to help people connect to each other. But in the past uh, recent days, Facebook has been used to proclaim the gospel to people all across the world, to give us an opportunity to share the hope that we have. And so we praise God for giving Mark Zuckerberg the wisdom to create Facebook. Maybe we should throw, you know, Al Gore in there too, because he supposedly invented the internet. You know, we may not be able to, to leave our homes for much right now, but the power of the seed of the gospel is not limited by anything in this world. So let's view these circumstances as something that God is sovereign over. What time and opportunities do you and I have now to do the work of God like Jesus talked about that maybe wouldn't have been the case just two weeks ago? You know, it's often when we face a crisis as people that we begin to open up to new perspectives. And the gospel message that we carry has the power to transform lives. What if this interruption season is a time that God is tilling the soil in the hearts of those around us? So let's start planting and watering spiritual seed and trust God to provide a harvest. And before you rush off to save the world, I would encourage you to focus your attention on those who are closest to you, those that God has placed in your life, like your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends. Consider those who who might be around you, who, who might be hungry or hurting or isolated, who feel rejected, who are outcasts of society, but are close here in our community. If you and I have tasted the living water, we should dare not keep it. To ourselves. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for in the midst of whatever life circumstances we might be facing, that doesn't change who you are. And just like this woman from Samaria at the well encountered Jesus for who he is, it changed her life. God, the same is true today. That when we see Jesus for who he is, there is living water, life-giving water, abundant life, eternal life available through him. And so God, I pray that you would show us who you are. You would show us through Jesus who you are. God, I pray that you would fill us with this living water through the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that you would send us in love to those around us so that we can point people to you so that we can share our story of how you've taken us from where we are to where we are now, to where, from where we've been to, to where you want us to be. And God, would you continue to use us as your conduit to pour out hope and peace and love to everyone around us. And God, may those who we share with be drawn to you. May they come to know you and worship you. We pray that through the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.